I believe I can touch the sky. Spread my wings and fly away. Oh, I should do that. Yeah, man. Yo, 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 we're back. Tom, say hello, Jake, Kev. Hey, hello. How's it going? You've had your... How's your back? How's your back now? Oh, mate, it's been a lot of pain. It's funny watching you walk. <laughs> oh, I put my back a few days ago. Oh, What'd you do? Oh, I don't know. I carried some PA speakers upstairs, and then I moved some stuff around, and then I think I leant over to pick up a jacket and I felt my back go. So it wasn't the PA speakers, it was the jacket. That, that was the jacket. <laughs> and, then, and then I knew, I felt back. this twinge and I knew it was going to be painful. Yeah. And horrible slowly feeling, got painful. It's like when you move and you feel it go through you. Like oh that fucking God, pain. Man. Horrible. However, I have... The pain's been alleviated by my intake of pies. I've had a lot of uh, pies this week. Oh, yeah, from the new place. Oh, was mate, it? yeah. Bevan's pie, that was yeah, very, was... very nice. However... Gotta say the anchor pie beats the Bevan's pie. Mm. Yeah. Anchor Frankwell. Anchor's got great food. Oh my god, what a pie. What um what do you have in the pie? What is it? Uh Anchor was beef and beef and ale. Oh nice. My god almighty. Like packed in loads of gravy. It takes they they bake it for you. It takes fifty minutes to cook. Fifty. Fifty? Yeah, they actually cook it for Holy you. Holy shit. Nice. I mean, that could sweet for a while, but I was trying to go for Sunday dinner a couple of weeks ago, but we didn't book, and I forgot and went in there. It was rammed. Because mm. it's, so it's nice always like, rammed. Yeah. Should have gone for Thanksgiving. Well, happy Thanksgiving. It was yesterday, right? Oh, it yeah, was. of course. Yes, it was. Did Thank you have you. a big dinner? No, I didn't. I just stayed and watched American football oh, all right. evening, really. Did a bit of work. Did you drink Bud? Stuff. Uh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. America. King of beers, apparently. Yeah. 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 America. Fuck yeah. I love Bud, though. I've had people go, fucking hell, are you drinking Budweiser? I'm like, yeah. Fucking brilliant. I love it. It's funny. When I came over here, I'd never had any other beer except for light beer, like light oh. light lagers. Oh, I did, what, yeah. Light lager actually means not very much alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a watered down version Why of your lager. Why do people even do that? Well, I, did, yeah. I didn't even know that there were differences. Well, I didn't either, right? Because I used to work with someone who went to America regularly to see family or friends or whatever. And she said that they, when you order, because she didn't, wasn't used to it, went to the bar and was like, have a pint of Bud, please. And they were like, oh, light or heavy, they said. Yeah. She was like, what? Yeah. What's what's the difference? And yeah, she didn't understand I it. think that's why Americans think they can drink so much, because it's always just light beer. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's just all these little, little can, yeah. stubby cans Like Stone Cold Steve Austin, and you look yeah. closely, and it's all light beer, like, and little cans of it. It's like, nah, come on, we can drink. You can't. I drank some amazing beer last night. Hey, time. though, you, you can drink. It's, it's, the, it's the English side of him. That's what yeah, it is. Yeah, it's coming out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I found We're, some amazing beer last night. It was, I think it's like, I don't know. It's, it's an ale. Yeah, it's when, a dark what, where, ale. Where were you? in um, Benbow. In the Benbow? Oh, right. Have you always drank ale? Is there like a certain age you hit where it, you I think there's an age you hit ale. when you start yeah. drinking. I, for years, decades, I'd walk into a pub and I'd think, oh, I might have this, I might have that. And then I get to the bar and out comes the immortal sentence that I've said thousands of times in my life. Pint of Stella. Yeah. Oh. Pint of Stella. I like Stella. I was drinking it last night, actually. <sighs> Too quickly though, I had a fucking bad head this morning. Mate, it's, it's, it's a bad, bad for hangovers. I tend to fight. I mean, I used to drink quite a lot of Stella, and I'd find that the hangover would peak at five pm the next day. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it kind of just slowly get worse all day. I'm not an ale drinker. I've tried, obviously tried it, 
and I've got this like like thought in my head when I when I sip it, my brain goes that's flat beer. So it just it makes me think it's like flat beer. So I, I don't like it. It's like the dregs you get at the bottom of a pint. Oh. That's what it feels like to me. But I know that, like you said, an agerly, I probably will end up drinking it because I've tried it and I've tasted it and it's gone and it's quite nice. But it's just the way it is because it's not fizzy. It makes me think it's flat. Like mm. so, I get a bit, I get a bit freaked out. Here in Shopshire as well, we've got so many good breweries. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's very easy to find a delicious ale and well, just you got stick to Salopian it. Salopian brewery, Jules. Well, now it's just I go into the bar and I go pint of three tons. Mm. Three tons is really popular, isn't it? It's at Bishop's Castle. At yeah, tons, Bishop's Castle. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Oh. What else do they have? Uh... i tell you what else I have in Bishop's Castle. They have Kirsty's Cafe. Oh, you've, yeah. You've that breakfast. Yeah. Oh, my God, best fry up in, best fry up in Shropshire. No, it isn't. Well, Seasons, yeah, Seasons, very good. This is a funny story. Curtis is a close second. I so went to Seasons last weekend, actually. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. So we went there, this was five years ago, wasn't it? But um, mm. it was me, you, and someone else, can't remember, anyway. We had the full English, because I'd been there once before, so I recommended it to Kev, he came. And, yeah, they got, obviously, it's like like locally sourced meat, so it's the bacon's really thick, sausages, whatever. Or was it the end of homemade baked breakfast. beans? Yeah, it looks quite small when you have it, but it's because it's so, like, it's just thick stuff. It's, you know, makes up for it. And uh, <laughs> he went on, uh, did you go on their page or something after? And just, I think I went on to their Google page and I wrote a poem about the breakfast. And it was, like, a like big... A, a nice poem, you know, complimentary. Big, massive thing about how incredible the breakfast was. And then, recently... I wanted to big detail about it, yeah. And then a few, many years later, I bumped into the chef. And he mentioned he works in Seasun. So I said, oh, I had a nice breakfast there. And he said, yeah, you're the guy that wrote the review, aren't you? The poem. Ah. And I said, yeah, I am. And he goes, yeah, I got pulled in the office about that. And the manager shook my hand and ah. thanked me. <laughs> That's good. Good and, and it's you know, it, it was worthy of getting a review. Yeah, like well, that, yeah. man. Life, man, what a breakfast! I don't know if it's still as good. Probably yeah. is. I can't. Yeah, that's a hell of a meal to be inspired to write a poem about. I write a poem about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I write a poem about it, how yeah. good it was, and write yeah. it on their Google. Page I usually just and... like groan and go, "Ooh, that was good." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really <laughs> yeah. good breakfast. Big burp. <laughs> really enjoyed. I've it. been inspired. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I want to see this poem now. Oh man, it'd be there. Be on there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it took a lot of time on it. That's how. That's how much he loved that breakfast. Yeah, <laughs> spoons can kiss my ass. <laughs> Hell of a breakfast. I'm trying. To, I like all the greasy spoons. What's that place? Um, it's where the bikers go out of town. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, Dobby's. No, not Dobby's. It's no. further than that. And it's just like it's like a cafeteria, but it's massive inside. Mm. And uh, probably, oh, no, maybe I don't know. Oh shit. I, Heading to Whitchurch. Yeah, it's out of town. Like it's quite a fair drive, and it's on the way to somewhere bigger. Yeah, Midway remember. Truck Stop, I think it's called. And that's there's uh, there's two cafe fucking out. It's insane. Is it one of them that's like a kind of makeshift little building on the side yes. of the? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. A, like a shed. Yeah, yeah. Where, and it's massive. And then you queue up like you're at school and like um, get the plates or whatever. It, and yeah, it just looks like it'd be good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's just typical, hundred percent greasy spoon. You have it, and it's just it's lovely, man. Oh, I love it. Uh, last time I was there, I turned around. There was just a bloke with a parrot on his shoulder. <laughs> it was just like right mate yeah he was just eating his breakfast with a fucking parrot on his shoulder no yeah yeah is it alive yeah. is it alive yeah, it was a real parrot yeah. Yeah. but yeah there's like a lot of bikers go there so if it's like a Sunday afternoon there's like a hundred bikes outside like and they'll they stock up on sausages and then go for the ride like, I was in one of those places once and there was a biker with all the patches on you know all these patches <clears throat> actual black and they were a Masonic he was in it was a the biker Masonic I don't know chapter yeah. Some of the patches were quite a, a bit. Mm. 
But on the dark side, I must say. I tell you, some, I, some very weird symbolism. My old bandmate um, Lee, he he's a biker, <clears throat> and uh, we were talking about like the, the gangs, Hell's Angels, and that. And he's like, "Yeah, I was briefly in them." I was like, it's "What?" God. And he told me the story. Basically, they got wrecked some chapter because they got them everywhere they? in the whole world. And um, when he applied, however he applied, like, like approached one of them, and they and and uh, next time he saw them to hang out with them, they knew where he lived, where he worked. Where his dad worked, everything about him, like, and because they have to, because they might be fucking undercover yeah. for all that, you know, all that good, shit. Yeah, good research so. team. Yeah, mate. Yeah, and um, he went to what they call the Bulldog Bash, oh, which right, is the yeah. yearly celebration yeah. for the Hell's Angels. And he went there, and it was the Wild Hearts that played. That oh, played. Right. And you know the guy because he played at the shed recently, didn't he? Ginger. Ginger. Yeah, and he played, and Lee watched him. Right, and he said, in between songs, this Ginger goes. God, this is the weirdest gig I've ever played. And as soon as he said that, one of the fucking bikers jumped on stage and fucking body slammed him to the floor. Shit. And he got back up and he went, "I'm really sorry, guys. I didn't mean any offence. I didn't. I didn't mean it was a shit gig. I mean, it's just weird because it's so different." And he goes, and he apparently never spoke <laughs> from the, from that point on in the whole set. And uh, he said he met the youngest and the oldest uh, Hell's Angels, I think maybe in the UK. And one lad was about fucking seventeen, eighteen, and he was an official Hell's Angel. And the other one was about eighty-five. I was like, oh, shit, man. Like, the stuff they, might, they must have seen, like... But I, I didn't know that when... Like, how it originated, all the Hells Angels and stuff, gangs, is post-war, where when they were in the war, they were razzing bikes around a lot of the time in their free time. And when World they were, War Two, yeah. Yeah. And afterwards, when the war ended, they were like, well, we ain't got any, like, you know... Adrenaline going, so they just bought, all bought bikes and then made a gang together. So well, they could yeah, quite a few bike gangs in America. And then, then obviously, it evolved into like a lot of it was crime and stuff. Pretty allegedly, Alle- yeah, allegedly. Sorry, boys. Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> was our, shit. Was our guy today in, in a biker gang by chance? Say again, this guy. Yeah. No, no. I'm, tr- I'm trying to make a transition here, Thomas. <laughs> um, yeah, mate. Yeah, <laughs> did not go smoothly at all. Yeah, shit. <laughs> Who is it today? Go on, Kev. Because this is fucking nuts. Samuel Little. Yeah, which most people won't have heard of him. No, I was talking to a friend earlier on who was here. That's our mate Sophie, who's from New York. Yeah. Doing some, you know, been researching this for a few days, a few weeks now. And um, and she never heard of them. She never yeah. heard of them. Well, I went to a serial killer talk. I remember because it was just about a month before covid at the Shrewsbury Town football ground with Ellen and Mandy and co. Not Mandy, Ellen and mm. Meg and whatever. And um, she, you know, skimmed over like all the others. And then she said about this guy. And before she said, she goes, does anyone in this room, there's about 200 people in this room, John Lewis was there. Uh, John Lewis, the tattooist in Frankwell, very good tattooist. Um, mm. He was there. And uh, this woman goes, can anyone name a black serial killer? And I, and I, I went, uh, and they weren't, they were like, you know, like mass killers and stuff. I was like, no, mm. I can't, no one in the entire room. And they said, well, this guy is Samuel Little. And then she told the story of him. And she said, basically, the reason why no one actually knows about him is partly because he's black and because most of his victims were black prostitutes. So it didn't make for good news at the time. Mm. You know, like Ted Bundy, a nice prominent white boy who went to law school Mm. and killed all these young white teenage college girls. That's it, like co-ed killers and stuff. And because he was killing black prostitutes and he was black himself, they were like, yeah, it's not going to be, you know, I won't sell many papers through that. Is it 93? Is it 93 he claims to have killed? Yeah. 60 confirmed, 93, that the police are almost certain, because DNA and stuff, they're probably still working on it now, because mm. they did DNA after they caught him and stuff and blah, blah, blah. It's quite hard. I think it's quite hard. He's a quite hard subject matter because, you know, when you are looking into him, it's just, there's just so much murder 
Mm. It's not like, oh, well, this happened and then this happened and then this happened and this happened. <clears> and then he did. He just constantly traveled around. Yeah. Murdered women. And kind of got away with it for decades. He, well. And. and hmm. So he started, his first murder was in 1970 and he was 30. And he stopped in 2005. So that's 35 years. Hmm. And at this point, I think he'd been, he'd been arrested over 50 times. In, he'd been in trial many, many times. One was dismissed. One, he was found not guilty. Then that was a, a murder as well, or attempted murder, and he got away with that. He got away with so much. You know, the more you kind of look into him. At one point, he, the police um, were suspicious of him sitting in his car. They went. Oh, yeah. They knocked on the window of the car. He came out of the car and looked agitated and nervous. And he said that he'd had an ar argument with his wife. And the couple looked in the car. Or, and another story, he says that he was having intercourse with his wife in the car. Copper looked in the car, turned to flashlight on, and there's this naked woman in the back of the car. Legs akimbo, that sounds awful. Dead, and and uh, the policeman just dismissed it and thought... Just, he must have thought he banged her so hard that she's just, just, she's in in a state of like <laughs> yeah and then and then just kind of and then the, the cops left yeah they just flashed the light light over her and just went well oh, right on you go there's, there's a theme with all these killers like the, the cops were not like Dharma they were not very good back they weren't like Dharma were they? that that gets yeah, me yeah. with his first ever victim Dharma when he was 18 years old. He chopped up the body, put it in bin bags, and went to dump it in the middle at like two in the morning. Cops found him, pulled him over. Bearing in mind, he's a young lad in a car with loads of bin bags in the back at two and three and four in the morning. And they're like, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, I'm just taking this out to the, 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 like the tip. And they were like, oh, okay, we'll hurry up about it. We don't want people driving around this late. And that was it. And that was his first victim. Imagine they caught him then. It wouldn't have fucking happened. Yeah. It's nuts, isn't it? Bloody hell. And well, this just... guy, 93 murders, if they had been... Went so it's 60 confirmed, one. and they are the cops are. It, it it is very 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 likely he killed the the other 13, which makes him the most prolific serial killer in U.S. history, which is why I wanted to cover him because we have to really. This mm. guy is incredibly interesting. It's fascinating, man. Um, so yeah, he was born in 1940 in uh, where was it? Um, Ohio, Georgia, in Reynolds, Georgia, oh, yeah. and we can't find a lot about his childhood. Anywhere I look, there's about four sentences about his childhood. The rest is just murder, 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 and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And all it says, really, is his mum was a teenage prostitute, gave birth to him. His dad was 19, did a runner. And then he was raised by his grandparents. And then he claimed... We don't know how much of this is true, because they couldn't find any proof. But he claimed, because he ended up homeless pretty much the entire rest of his life, that he claimed that his, his grandparents lost him. Now, did he refer to maybe being put into social services? Yeah, there's nothing. Taken off of them or just lost. So, and apparently they said his <coughs> mum dumped him on the side of the road, which I don't know. Maybe the grandparents just found him there or whatever. But anyway, yeah, uh, his grand. It says he uh, brought up mainly by his grandmother, and uh, he had problems with discipline and achievement when he was at school. So I think he just fucked school off completely, and then the grandparents apparently lost him, and that's whatever where he just, that means. Yeah, exactly. So then he's just like. Hopped on a train, hopped on a bus. At 16, in. 1956, he's convicted for breaking an entry into a property and he went to an institution for juvenile offenders. That's when he was 16. For and four it, years, wasn't it? Yeah, and one of the videos I was watching regarding this episode was that during that time in, is it Juvenile Hall? Is that what they call it? 
Juvie, yeah. Juvie. Juvie. He was like abused. Jake, Jake knows. Jake, Juvie, mate. Jake knows. Yeah, it was always in school. You're like, oh, you better be careful if you're going to go to Juvie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> didn't you when you armed, did it, though, Jake? <laughs> yeah, he turned out pretty good. <laughs> yeah, go on, Kev. Well, so... Yeah, so he would have spent time incarcerated as, as a, you know, 16, 17, 18. And I reckon... And it's alluded to one of his interviews that he was a lot of abuse. A lot of well, even in like adult prison, you, if you're a newbie and you're a young newbie, like you, they're going to target you. Mm. But especially Juby, they're young, stupid lads, aren't they? Trying to prove a point. I reckon as soon as he's walked through the door, they're going to go right, and we're having him. Mm. So yeah, he's probably had a good four or five. But it's probably toughened him up as well. And he's mm. come out. He's come out angry and shit. So yeah, and uh, it says, oh yeah. So his mother was listed because uh, he tried to find his mum when he came out of Juvie. And where whereabouts unknown uh, on her like uh, documents, he moved to Florida to live with his mum in the '60s. And by his own account, he was working at various times as a cemetery worker and ambulance attendant. Uh, but this is when he started travelling randomly everywhere, different mm. places, wasn't it? He never had like a fixed abode or anything. What age was he? Sorry, uh, just out of juvie, so he'd be about 21. And, uh, and I think he spent a lot of time sleeping in his car. Yeah, yeah that was his loads main of travelling. I think, yeah. And shoplifting, shoplifting most days, selling it at night, staying in a cheap motel. Similar That's how he lived. Like Eileen, didn't Eileen? Yeah. Like similar kind of... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah petty theft just, just to type. keep... Transient. Like, yeah, yeah, transient, that's it. Yeah, hand to mouth, so he'd just nick something, sell it and get some grub and some hotels or whatever. Um, yeah, he was... So he, it says he began, he began more widely travelling and had more run-ins with the law. Uh, he was arrested in eight states for crimes including driving under the influence, fraud, shoplifting, solicitation, armed robbery, aggravated assault and rape. So he was a man of many <laughs> talents. Like uh, He claimed that he took up boxing during his time in prison, referred to himself as a former prize fighter. But yeah, so he, this is in his 20s and he was just doing, well, rape obviously is the, the highest he went. Mm. And it was just yeah, hand-to-mouth shoplifting. And as you're watching, you know, various documentaries and researching, what comes up all the time are loads and loads and loads of mug shots. Because he was arrested so that's many why, times. That's why, yeah, I thought I kept them in, because that's, that's, like, not even half. Yeah, yeah, it's just insane how many times he was nicked. Yeah, and all these different, yeah, all the different decades, like... Over so many states. Because this one, the earliest one, I think, is... 1966, so he's a proper young man then. And we forgot to say he was six foot three and 200 pounds. Mm. And uh, the detectives on that documentary earlier today, he said that his hands were huge. So he was a boxer, six foot three, 200 pounds, and in his prime at this point. So if you wanted to, cap, you know, bear hug you, you ain't going nowhere. Big boy. Yeah. And as a kid, he got into the, you know, the asphyxiation and strangling that was it what was the origin of that that's quite fascinating that was, um, yeah he was took apparently at school I think it was a teacher was touching her neck repeatedly and there was another occasion when a girl was looking at him and she touched her neck and she mm. was looking at him and it's, when, when he talks about it in these interviews it's almost like a little switch was clicked in his brain and and he was into the whole kind of asphyxiation, strangulation thing. Mm. And it was just from seeing women going... And he would say as well, he picked his victims, apparently, on how attractive he found their neck. Yeah, yeah. Because and and he would draw them as well, and you see them like... You know, and he, you could see it, sort of, the muscles come out and they're more yeah, prominent. Yeah, he'd accentuate the kind of That's neck, it, wouldn't yeah, he? Yeah. And really kind of focus on, yeah, muscles and sinew. I'll tell you what, that was like Dharma as well, because when they found those horrific Polaroids of his the bodies... He would pose them 
like so their muscles were tensed up so like um, kneeling down so the calf muscles would go all tight oh. yeah that's what he did as well because it was just attractive to him but yeah these necks he just liked necks because if you looked at the sort of uh, pattern of his victims none of them you know like Bundy mm. he, he, they were all dark haired pretty much really really pretty dark haired girls in the same age range his victims they were all black white fat slim mm. you know but as soon as they turned their neck and he liked it he would take them you know that's it, and um, and he said that some he wouldn't he wouldn't want to kill or murder someone because they, their necks weren't right. Yeah, and he and said it wouldn't fulfil his kind of fantasy. Yeah, and he said, uh, "Oh, I never shot anyone, I never um, stabbed anyone, and I never go, bit anyone. Never, I'm not into bleeding or blood." And he goes, "Oh, I don't like blood. Like <laughs> crazy, isn't it?" And he said as well, didn't he, that he was adamant that he didn't rape his victims, but they proved he they, he did. Mm. But he didn't want to be considered a rapist. But he would happily say. Oh yeah, I killed that so and so. Like horrible, you know, calling the victims horrible words. And I strangled yeah. her. And then what he would do was he'd strangle them, then let go. So they'd come back round again. Then he'd strangle them again. Uh, he would prolong it. You know, you know, the longer it lasts, the better it is for him. Like, and obviously it's the fucking worst thing in the world for the other. And, wouldn't, and then he just like dump them on the side of the road in a, under a bit of bush somewhere. Yeah. And do you know? Remember why? Because uh, it was Gillian Lauren. She's a journalist who. Um, over a few years, met up with him every week and were on the phone to him. She wrote a book about him, and there's a documentary series on stars on uh, Prime, which I watched, and it's fantastic. She's the the basis from Weezer. It's his wife. Oh, and, yeah, um, yeah. She said that um, when he tried to dig a grave once, he didn't realise how fucking hard work it was. So he got like halfway, like a f- couple of feet down, and was like, fuck this, and left her there, and he never got caught. So years, and, years went by, and he was like, oh, I'll just dump them then. And he said he would dump them to the point where if you kicked her once, she'd roll onto the, onto the highway. That's how, how oh. out in the open they were. Because he, he realised he doesn't have to dig a, a grave because no one's going to catch him. And he'd often say, you know, that, oh, I loved her. Oh, yeah, I he said her. about a couple of them, oh, I loved oh, her. Oh, she was beautiful, I loved her. And and so he was kind of implying it wasn't rape. If you, you know, you see what yeah. I'm coming from. You know, oh, no, I loved her, I loved her. Yeah, and Gillian Lauren said as well that he kept saying to her that he didn't hate women. And she was like, that was utter bullshit. She goes, after getting to know him very well, she was like, he clearly, clearly, everything matched up. He hated women. You know, from... Well, it would have been, you know, from his finding out his mum abandoned him. That's that's point one. Could be, you know. You know? Yeah, could well be. You and know? he might, you know... And, oh, it could just be, it could just be that, and then he could go on for the rest of his life hating women. You know, the, the, the trauma, like you said, it sticks with you, doesn't it? Especially when yeah, you're younger. Yeah, yeah. But, um... Yeah, yeah so we carried on and this is so it's uh, I'm looking here it says in his teens yeah started with theft and he went to juvie and then in the 50s he moved around state to state and got, got arrested for fraud and all that stuff driving under influence 1975 being arrested over 25 times in 11 states in total he served 10 years for these various offences and escaped two murder convictions that's probably why it wasn't all put because it was various states yeah it, was, it wasn't yeah they never connected it all together again that's that was like why Bundy went Everywhere because they couldn't catch him. Quick well, he enough. was only in a few, though. I think Washington, Oregon, and yeah, Florida. yeah, the, yeah. But obviously, yeah. the the communication between states is like yeah, different yeah, countries, yeah. isn't it? So many of these victims weren't found. You no. know, many were. This many is why, were never yeah, this found. is why Gillian Lauren um, got hot in touch with him and became like tried to be friend, friends with him. You know, like pretending to get the info out about these missing women or unidentified bodies because these mum, mothers, and fathers were like. We don't know if that's my daughter mm. or where's my daughter and whatever. And he would, his, his memory. He completely opened up. He's got like a semi-photographic memory. Mm. 
and he would describe them. He he drew all of his victims. Yeah, if you memory. Google Google it, it, every single one, and he's got them. And he gave them to some of the originals to Gillian Lauren. She's got them, and in this documentary in her back office, right, all these like A4 sheets of paper, and there's just like 50 women. He draws them, and they're all completely different. It's not like a you know a typical face with a different haircut. It's all they're all completely different. It's he'd just... describe them. He'd describe their weight, what they looked like to the police. He'd remember their name. He remember the you know the location, and then he described where he left the body. Mm. Oh yeah, it was eight miles out of town. There was this little dirt track, and the. What did you tell me earlier there. about the um well, the, the food? Yeah, so one autopsy, you know, there was no pos possible way that they could kind of really identify this victim, but they autopsied this this poor poor woman, and in their stomach they found uh, carrots and coffee. Right now, when they were interviewing, nobody else knew this, and when they were interviewing. Uh, Samuel, I was going to say Stuart Little then. <laughs> when they're interviewing, well, it's not like you to get yeah, the names wrong, yeah, is it? Yeah, When they're interviewing uh, Sam Little, they asked him, oh, do you remember what her last meal was? And he remembered. And he said, yeah, uh, she had some carrots from a salad with some black coffee. And that, and that's when it, you know, the police knew that he definitely was yeah. the last person to see that. This mm. is why the, the ones that they he suspected of uh, 33 more women they are convinced because he will go, oh, her name was so-and-so. We went to this place and this place and da-da-da. She had dark hair, whatever. And, and they're like, and whoa. they describe it as, I'd go there and I'd pluck a grape. That's how he, yeah, that's how and he And in the it. interview, he physically shows himself like going up to, you know, he's, he's sat on this chair and he's, and he's going up to, and putting his arm out to the wall and pretending to pluck a grape. And it, obviously he's referring to women. You know, I'd go and I'd pluck myself a grape and I'd go there and I'd pluck myself a grape. And he would... Smile as soon as you ask him, like, so how did you murder so and so? And he'll just kind of be like, Hey, oh man, took it to, yeah, this, took it to this, this, but this wooded area. Oh, she was like, so pretty. I loved her, yeah, yeah I yeah. loved her. And, and he'd go, oh, I got my hands around her neck like this, and he's smiling the entire time. He's like, like You know, he's, his eyes light up when he talks about it. Oh, he's nuts, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the same as all the other ones, you know, like BTK. And as soon as they asked him, Who are you? and he smirks, doesn't he? I'm BTK, and it's like. Because that's, that's the only joy, like, that's the only thing that they think they're good at. That's all they've got left, really, isn't it? It's yeah. that notoriety. Well, he said, remember earlier we were saying, um, he when he was getting interviewed, that the, the there's an audio clip of um, the copper saying, oh, thanks for helping us out. Like, you, you've been really worthy. Yeah, you've been really valuable. And, and he was like, oh, thank you. I've never been called anything like that before. And I'm, I'm really glad that I can help. So it's got to the point for him to feel worthwhile in life. He's killed women and then helped them fucking find the bodies, and that was his like worthwhile. Yeah, you know, and the police to get more info out of him and to kind of butter him up are going, oh, thank you. You know, without you, we wouldn't be able to do this. Yeah, without you, and like, it's like you know, well, he fucking killed him in the first place. Yeah, and Gillian Lauren said she used to how he would open up to her um, was she would buy loads of snacks for him from the vending machine, oh. and as soon as you got him a chocolate bar, he'd go right. I'll tell you about victim number twelve and. Nuts in it. Yeah, and all this time he actually had a long-term partner, didn't he? he was oh going yeah. Out, he was going out of a woman who was twenty-eight years his senior. You see photos of it. She's this old, like, black woman, and she, I honestly looks like, like he's like kind his of grandma. grandma. <laughs> and they they would um, jump in the car, go on five, six, seven, eight days shoplifting sprees, they'd cross state lines, then cheap motels, go shoplifting, sell it at night in pubs, get some money, cheap motel. And this is one of the, the ways he was able to kind of move about so often mm. and, and murder people. And apparently they were, uh, police suspect like she knew because they would, basically they said, how did she not know? Because mm. all the time he was murdering women on a frequent basis. Like, 
and because you think about it, it's like Eileen Warnos, you know, it, he's come home with like five hundred dollars, and he's probably nicked from the murder victim. Oh, how'd you get that? Oh, I found it. Well, she was also a great shoplifter, apparently. So they come out together shoplifting. Well, and I no suppose. one suspects an old person. Uh, that's yeah. exactly what I was going to yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah when, um, I'm, when I'm 60, I'm, I'm robbing everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she, yeah. Watch out, every man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're very odd. There's a pit, There's a quite famous picture of them together, and it's a very odd picture, isn't it? It literally like he's visiting his nan. Yeah. And and they were they were like intimate as well. And well, that, what, do you mean, what do you mean by that? Uh, they, they did that, you know, when they put the thing in the hole. Put, I don't put know we, what you mean. Put Willie in about. the... Oh, that, that, yeah. that thing. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> poems? They wrote poems for each other? Yeah, yeah, they wrote poems, yeah. They had, they had <laughs> sexy time. Mm. <laughs> I think they kissed. <laughs> but there's another thing with this woman as well. They were saying, like, he clearly... Because he, he supposedly cared about her, and it's like, he didn't abuse her. He didn't kill well, her, but, yeah. nothing like... Weird, isn't it? Yeah, but he needed her, didn't he, to get around? Yeah, true. So yeah, it's just... not going to be... Yeah, and I suppose with, um, like, BTK, with his wife, they would probably fool themselves into actually thinking they, they're capable of love just to try and feel mm. normal. Mm. But it's just all a big ruse, isn't it? Like, I think at one point he states that she knew about other women, but not actually what he did with them. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, we're trying to find... Oh, yeah, so we are at... Well, we're in the early 80s now. And this is after he, you know, the various... When he came out of prison for these various crimes uh, in the 60s, 70s. This is 1982, and he moved to, which I like this word, Pascagoula, Pascagoula. in Mississippi. And uh, he faced the murder of a 22-year-old, Melinda Rose Laprie. She'd gone missing in September of that year, and a grand jury declined to indict him for the murder. Unbelievable. What? How? And, you know, like in the documentaries we watched and the, the detectives, the, the ones that were on the case later on, you know, 20 years later, they said they'd find the bodies, you know, her, her head's bashed in, she's got strangulation marks, and they'll go, she's a prostitute, probably an overdose. Yeah. What? Yeah. And he's going, fucking wicked, I can get away with this. He, had, he, he explained to the priest in one of the interviews that he's been lucky. He said, I've had a lot of luck. And he really, I mean, it's awful to say it, but the guy has had a lot of luck. He's just got away with... So many crimes. I can't remember coming across anyone as prolific and lucky in that sense so far. You know, because he did it from 1970 to 2005. So after uh, when he was in, I just want to say it again, Pascagoula. Pascagoula. Um, Pascagoula. Isn't that right? Oh, sorry, yeah, Pascagoula. <laughs> Sounds like a like a, a meal. Sounds like a cocktail. Yeah, yeah. Just move my mic. That, to me, it sounds like a like a stew. Pascagoula. Have a nice, nice, nice bowl of pascagoula. Pascagoula. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he got off on the murder of Min- Melinda Rose Laprie, and uh, it says here. However, while under investigation, Little was extradited to Florida and tried for the murder of 26-year-old Patricia Ann Mount, whose body was found in September '82. Prosecution witnesses identified Little in court as a person who spent time with Mount on the night before of her disappearance. Due to mistrust of witness testimonies, Little was acquitted again. It's like that's lucky, unreal, isn't it? Lucky every time, and especially like being black. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And this was in. Um, Mississippi. Mississippi. Yeah. So it would have been all these, yeah. like, probably racist juries and what, you know, like, it's more likely a black person's going to go, yeah, you bang, assume. you're gone. Um, so after this, he moved to California 
uh, stayed in San Diego. Uh, he was arrested for kidnapping, beating, and strangling 22-year-old Laurie Barros, who survived. And she was on that documentary. She's the blonde lady. Um, and Didn't he get a plea deal then? I think, yeah. Like, they fucked her over, I think. Um, one month later, he was found by the police in the back of his car with an unconscious woman, also beaten and strangled, in the same, loca- in the same location as the attempted murder of Barros. So it, he's he's literally ah, give a he shit. He doesn't care. I'm going back there because that's he a nice just little doesn't spot. Doesn't care anymore. It's nuts, isn't it? And he said, it says he he served two and a half years in prison for both crimes. So two attempted murders, and he he spent two and a half years in prison. <laughs> I think overall he spent ten years in prison at, for thirty five years worth of murder. And if he wasn't in prison for those years, he probably killed another fifteen, twenty women. Easy. It's nuts, isn't it? February 1987, he immediately moved to L.A. and committed at least 10 additional murders. I swear to God, every fucking sentence of this guy's life is just like... That's why it's quite hard, I think, to kind of break it up. It's just literally move, murder, move, murder, move, murder, move, murder, bit of time in prison, murder, prison, murder, murder, murder. And I just find... You become kind of desensitised because it's just so frequent and just so, yeah, so much of it. It's just, Jesus Christ. It's just, I can't... Like he was saying, like he said before, in the interviews with him, you can see how much he loves it. And he's just, and he does say horrible things about them as well, where he'll say, like, oh, yeah, this dirty whore. And I did it. then he was like, oh, I killed her and it was so fun. And like, she was really attractive, but I wanted to kill her and all this. And, like, and, and he did that probably twice a month, a month, every month, like literally picking up a woman. And, and they said they'd always have uh, cocaine and... Like alcohol, like alcohol. Yeah, you often use coke, coke and alcohol. So if they were like prostitutes, probably a bit skinned. That's an extra bonus, isn't it? Like I've, I've got coke as well. Like, so he's thought about that to to lure them in. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and he said he would, uh, which is horrible to describe. But the way he would murder wasn't just strangulation. He would because he had um, massive hands and he was a boxer. He used to constantly, constantly keep beating oh, them over awful. the face. Awful. Some of the descriptions of the violent attacks. So the woman that survived, just she was unbelievable. All, you know, puffed up face, because he would. Just, no, one ran away. She ran into traffic, like naked from. That was it, yeah. And like she'd been beaten. And that's up. what that woman said, isn't she? Um, she would rather run into uncommon tra- uncommon traffic rather than be in a car with him because she felt like something's. She like she said, didn't she? I was gonna die. It was either that or I was gonna die. Yeah, there's some. Yeah, some of the descriptions of the violence are really gruesome. I'm not gonna say them, but mm. they are. But yeah, pretty much in a nutshell, every victim, he would. Yeah, punch him around the face constantly while strangling, strangling them. Like, but yeah, so he and then he would dump them in wherever he found half decent, mm. covered up. Mm. And he said, but most of the time they were right out in the open because he didn't give a shit. It's like, didn't what? care, you know, didn't, nothing. And uh, it just blows my mind the fact that, well, he was just because he was black as well, because then as well, and where he lived, like. You know what I mean? It was too. It's too easy for someone. You know, you you hear stories of um, uh, like a black dude that will go in and uh, rob a shop, mm. and he gets twelve years in prison. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he did all of that. Yeah, this and, is, and more. This is before the. I guess actually now, was it three strikes, three strikes, and you're out. It's only in some states the the three three strike rule. California was one of them. Yeah. And he was he was he a charming guy? Like there must be something mm. that. that like no. I, I think when he's interviewed, he is quite charming. Yeah. I mean, obviously, he's kind of, you know, he's he was reliving. Open. Yeah, he's open. He's reliving. Like obviously, these the facts, the facts, crimes. and the things that happened. Are, you know, but but you can imagine 
Some, some, he must have done something that got him off so many times when he was in court or talking. True. Yeah. True, yeah. Like, I, I suppose, yeah, being like, uh, well, like I said, transient, homeless, didn't have much going. They probably give him chance after chance, and then he's moved to another state, and they've gone, oh, all right then. Yeah. Uh, he's not our problem anymore. Maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. There would have been a lot of that. Yeah. And yeah, maybe he was charming, because like you said in the interviews, he is likable. You can imagine. You, yeah, he's you pretty can normal, imagine. seeming like. Yeah, he's just like, yeah, it's if very you, if, weird. You know, if you got chatting to him in the pub, you wouldn't think he was weird. Mm. At all, yeah. Even though the content of his, of you know, what he's talking about is a lot of it is descriptions of, of murders. You can kind of imagine him talking about something not gruesome. Yeah, he's just like and being quite captivating and interesting. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, you can you can imagine him being quite a charming guy. Yeah. In, in the right circumstances and situations. And you know, like when we when we were talking about Ed Kemper, when in his interviews, you find yourself kind of going, "Oh right, yeah, okay, yeah," and then you go. He's talking about killing someone. Yeah. The way he talks about it is so normal. Hmm. You know, he'll go, "Oh yeah, gut just go around the neck," and he's like smiling, almost like he's boasting to a mate. And then, and it, like his mates going, "Oh cool, cool man," like getting fucking points with his friends, because the detectives are trying to be like that to get it out of him. Mate, first. they are being so nice to him, and they are buttering him up, and yeah. they are, you know, they're they're using every tool in the toolbox to get him to open up and to and yeah. to trust them. And I'm pretty sure one of the interviews. The actual prosecutors in it at the same time, mm. taking part in the interviews and and listening to the confessions. So he's even confessing to the judge as such. Yeah. Yeah, like Gillian Lauren said, it worked in her favour because she's like young, very attractive. And um, she had to, had to go through like having affection from him to get info out of him. So he would like, you know, touch her hand and say like, oh, you know, we should be together. Like, if, if only I wasn't in prison, like, I love you, baby, and all this. And she's like, oh. and I've seen the, the documentary of her investigating him, and she'll be on the phone to him, and you can see this, like, clip. And he says something, she goes, oh, slams the phone down, and then she says to the camera, she's like, he said some horrible things, like, what, what he wants to do to me and stuff. But then she'll ring him back and go, can you not say stuff like that anymore, Sam? And then she'll go, anyway, what happened to so-and-so? And, and she's going through all this horrible shit just to get, Justice for these. She's gone victims. crawling through the woods looking for victims' remains, yeah. isn't she? Yeah, she was physically she was hands on, like went out into the field and did it all. And um, she's been involved in a couple of police investigations as well. I think well, like one... based on locations that he's given her. Yeah, yeah and then she's yeah. In, she's yeah. told the police and and she got uh, was it in court? She got um, uh, she was going to get done for like contempt of court or or something like uh, about about evidence because she didn't turn over her sources. That's it, she wouldn't release her sources. So, you know, she would say this, this, this and happened, they can prove it, but they'll go, well, who'd you get that from? And she'd go, I can't reveal my sources and then they were going to prosecute her. Then they tried to discredit her as a journalist. Yeah. But, but you know... I'm just trying to help. She was all right, (laughs) Just take it, like, you know. But yeah, you watch the document, it's called Confronting a Serial Killer and it's, I think you have to sign up for a thing called Stars on Amazon Prime, but... I don't know, get a free trial and watch it and then cancel it mm. because it's worth watching. Because mm. you feel so sorry for her because she had an office in her in her house and she had two kids and a husband and they're in the documentary and they're saying like, oh, we miss mummy, like we haven't seen her for two weeks. And she's in the back room. But she just, she neglected, and she said afterwards, she goes, I hated that period of my life because I wanted to curl, curl up on the sofa with my two boys, you know, but she couldn't because she wanted to get this shit out of this guy. And oh he, he, he felt like he was controlling her as well, like even over the phone because she would get upset and whatever and he's loving it. Mm. And she said the um, the worst feeling she ever had in life was sitting uh, uh, over a desk, which uh, opposite him, and him flirting with her and trying to 
Oh. Get with the light. And he'd say really creepy things like, you know, when we're both dead, like we'll be together and with all my victims. And oh, you. That's what he said. Uh, at one point, she kind of, um, she says that it's almost like all these memories he has of the murders. They're like, he's kind of precious, precious possessions. He calls them his babies. That he's got in his head and it, and, and yeah. It's very, very dark. He said as well, which, again, it's just creepy. He said about Gillian Lauren, he said, um, oh, there's an actual quote, but he said something like, oh, I never killed any smart women. Like, And he said, like my baby here, about Gillian Lauren, because she's like an academic. And he said they were all um, drug addicts and hookers. So they were just worthless pieces of shit. To yeah, and he kind of alludes to that in an interview. I didn't kill any smart ones, because they, they, you know, they're, wor- they're, they're worthy people. You know, <laughs> oh, I'll kill these hookers instead, because they're, yeah, they're not worthy of uh, being alive. And now is Sam Little? Is he? Um, is he still alive? No, he died twenty twenty, I think. Uh, let me have a look. Yeah, twenty twenty, December twenty twenty. Yourself ever getting the name right, weren't you? Yeah, I was going. Is this Stuart? Stuart Little. It was like a TPK, wasn't it? Whatever his name was. Or Burger King. Or Bread Kemper, or whatever his name was. Bread Kemper. Come on, Eileen. That's a good one. Yeah, because even Eileen, you were like, Aileen, Eileen. Well, it is spelled with an A. I know, yeah. Aileen, Aileen. Yeah, so we got well, we got his stuff up. His other names were the Choke and Stroke Killer. Talking of that, he was quite obsessed in true crime magazines, wasn't he? That was it, yeah. Especially around, like, strangulation and asphyxiation. That was... Similar to, again, Ted Bundy, he wrote, he read true crime novels and he would get um, like tips, you know, like on BTK mm. with, uh, that's how he originally started to get into the ropes and stuff because he saw all these true crime novels. It's like, Jesus Christ, all these kids in America in the, like the fifties are reading these things and mm. half of them turn out into fucking serial killers. Like incredible. Mm. But yeah, they would get like tips and uh, get turned on by these things. Like, but yeah, I just find it crazy with sound that hot, the, the, the whole, he saw his kindergarten teacher or, and or a, a pupil just go, oh, like that. And he's gone, oh, I like Yeah, that. and he describes it years later, like 60 years later, describing that moment when he saw this teacher touch her neck and and it just... And like we said before, his memory. Like when you ask him sounding. a question about 27 years ago and his murder, he'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, straight away. Like he already knew halfway through what this, the, the question, what he was going to say anyway. And then he names like, oh, yeah, we went shoplifting in this store. And then... Yeah, that's and he names these stores in this town, and then we drank in this bar. Yeah, and he would say like, and I'd describe the, them all. Yeah, with with the store, he said about one of them. He goes, "Oh, it's where that uh, that Walmart is now, but it used to be so and so. Do you remember that in the seventies? And they would go, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I remember." And then he, he mentions the name then. Yeah, so he even knew like what they used to be called. You know, all, all these tiny details, and that's why the, again the cops are like, he definitely had all these extra murders because why wouldn't mm. he you know he, he, that was his whole MO it all makes sense it's all mm. one big pattern but yeah like he would say um, well he would say their height their weight yeah their like hair how their teeth looked he said oh one, oh. one girl had buck teeth and had a, she had a gap in the middle and she had a gold tooth there and all that and he was like oh yeah I was with her for three days yeah we did some shoplifting and we did a bit of this and a bit of that and mm. then and then um, and he doesn't use the word murder I don't think you know he yeah it just, I can't remember what he doesn't use the word rape either, but he's, he yeah. kind of... You know, strangling someone to death, that's yeah. all right, but no, no. Ooh, it's something like, oh, well, I left her. I left left her, and then he describes where he left them. Yeah. 
But I he, think but once they're dead, they're even more of like it's just just a, a bag of garbage, isn't it? Yeah. He, so he names he uh, describes how he drags them places. I dragged her here and I yeah, dragged yeah. them there. And that's what the cops linked as well because a lot of them because obviously he killed them in a car then he would drag them imagine driving around in a car that you'd murdered all these girls in just, just... oh yeah 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 she, she thinks she's having a good time and there's probably about 50 women that have been murdered shit, in that car like, shit do you reckon it stank oh my god Ted Bundy apparently that's well did I tell you where apparently Blondie got in his car and then got and jumped out you know no way and I looked it up again and it's because she said it happened, and people are like, well, they can't remember if it was definitely him or not. But she said when it all came out on the news, she recognised him and said that was definitely him. He picked her up from a bus stop, but after about three attempts, because she was like, now you're a stranger, pissing down in rain, the bus didn't turn up, she got in the car, she said the inside handle was snapped off. Oh, my life. And that was obviously red flag number one, and she said it fucking stank, absolutely stank. So what she did, I think she rolled down the window really, like, really quickly, and then flicked the car, and then he like wheel like wheel span the car, and she fucking jumped out, and that was Debbie Harry, man. Shit. But she said it absolutely reeked in that car, and I'm thinking the same about Sam. Like, well, it must do, <laughs> Stuart. I'm gonna have to move. You Stuart need a, Little, you need a wee wee. Uh, uh, the dog. I need a wee wee, and I got I'm gonna tumble far. If I can't go to work, I'll be. Watch forward. your back. Pull your trousers up, man. Come on, come on. They were literally. At least <laughs> that was like three quarters of the way down your ass then. Oh. What we, what, we, what we we were on um, I'll find it this is where the woman escaped and he served two and a half years in prison and then he was released in 1987 he moved to LA and committed at least 10 more, 10 more murders so this was in 1987 and there's not really much from here to go into but we know that it's you know at least 10 more and in the same way he'd pick them up strangle them beat them uh, rape them and eventually, you can go from here, Kev, where he got arrested and when. Well, he stopped in 2005, so 1970 to 2005, 35 years worth of killing, and then seven years later... Well, he was picked up at a, a homeless uh, hostel. And he was... What, he was 71, 71 years old. In a homeless shelter, like... So, and, um, and when you think about his first murder being in 1970... That is 40, 41, 42 years. Mm. Do you reckon there's an aspect that he wanted to get cut because it would have been better in prison than in the homeless? I they do. said that. I on do. The, yes. I do. Yeah, because he was... He's taking he was, care of more in prison. Yeah, what a pension. Yeah. I mean, he's fed, he's got a place to sleep. Yeah, yeah. that's what they said the on the streets. documentary because uh, when he got convicted and then sentenced, they, he seems pretty like... Eh. I'm old now. And once he knew he didn't have the life penalty, then, as I said earlier, he opened up and confessed to all these additional murders. Yeah, and he's got people praising him. He's got a nice nice little fucking cushy place to, to live. He's got mm. that sexy psychologist visiting him every yeah. day for and, about five years, yeah. writing her book. But yeah, she said as well, it was fucking horrible when he got sent down because they know that he was like, eh, cool. You know, he didn't go, oh, shit, I'm going to prison for the rest of my life. He, he loved it. So that was, you know, all the victims' families were there, and they're like, he doesn't give a shit, because that's fucking great for him. And she said, you know, he's got a place to sleep, free square meals a day, and people to talk to. He's got games to play. He can play fucking chess, basketball. He can do what he wants. There's a fucking leisure centre. And, yeah, so this was in 2012, homeless shelter in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, he was extradited to California to face a narcotics charge. He's like, he's, he's, he's really? committed every fucking crime going. 
after which authorities used DNA testing to establish that he was involved in the murders of Linda Alford, killed in 1987, Guadalupe, Apodaca, uh, Audrey, Nelson, and they were the three that like got him, basically. And uh, they were killed and later found on the streets of L.A., extradited to L.A., where he, where he was charged on the January the 7th, 2013. A few months later, the police said that Lit was being investigated for involvement in three dozen murders committed in the 80s, which until then had been undisclosed. In connections with the new circumstances in Mississippi, the LaPru murder was reopened. In total, Little was tested for involvement in 93 murders of women committed uh, in many, many US states. So I'm assuming now they're still like processing because it's not 100% official that he killed 93, but they're just, you know, testing his DNA against them. Well, it's, what's it? Little has admitted to more than 93 different murders. But 60 have been formally connected to him by the police. So they're still looking at another 33, possibly yeah. more. So they caught him. So he was a still homeless, transient dude, like we were saying before. 70-odd years old in a fucking homeless shelter. Like. Mm. So mm. DNA have obviously caught up with him. Like, I think a lot of the time it does, doesn't it? When, you know, when, especially when it's in the 70s. Give it 50, no, 20-odd years later and... It's incredible, DNA, isn't it, DNA yeah. testing? I mean, every, every well, like, now and again it comes up here in the news, somebody's yeah. been caught... So yeah, uh, right. This is towards the end now. So he's been convicted. Well, yeah, he's been convicted of the three murders, um, and he was te- tested in involvement in '93 more. Um, and then in his trial, September two uh, thousand fourteen, uh, the prosecution prosecution pres- presented the DNA evidence as well as testimony of witnesses who were attacked by the accused at different times throughout his criminal career. Mm. Um, he was found not guilty and was sentenced. Uh, he was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. On the day of the verdict, Little continued to insist his innocence. Before his death, what? Little was serving a sentence of California State Prison, L.A. County. Um, but then later confessions. This is obviously the the interviews we've seen of him. He just opens the floodgates and admits just, everything. Those those confessional videos on YouTube are. Quite a staggering. So I think from reading this, he was sentenced to life without parole for three DNA tested murders. Mm -hmm. And after his confessions, they tied him to another five. That's it. So in total, he was only charged and convicted for eight murders. Yeah. And then once he realised he wasn't going to get the death penalty, he admitted all the others. Is that? Oh, is that why? Yeah, he got a letter. You know, yeah. Once he found out he wasn't going to die, and he and he could serve serve. He's so they said, if you admit what you got, I think then he we just won't... started confessing it all. I think he just started to admit it. Maybe he did some kind of bargain where if yeah. he, because they must have had so many murders, they wanted loose ends. They wanted. I've to heard tie of this up. before, where they say, if we, if I don't get the death penalty, I'll tell you more and tell you tell you where the bodies are and all that stuff. Anyway, oh dear. <laughs> so after he was sentenced to, to life without parole, he then started to confess to them of, of, of the rest of them, mm. and uh, November eighteen. 2018, Little confessed to the strangulation in 1996 of Melissa Thomas. He was charged for that, so this is the extra five. Uh, but then, basically, just carried on and carried on and carried on. As you can see, like me, me and Kev watch on YouTube, go on YouTube, watch an interview with him, and he's just smirking. He's going, yeah, I did this, did that. And yeah. he just got this photographic memory. And That's incredible, yeah. It's, it's not even, like, like fascinating. It's fascinating anyway, but the fact that he's got... All these little details that were proven. He recalls them all, and he says, yeah, "I was thinking like it's it's his like a creepy weird way, like a collection, isn't it? Like yeah. exactly that. Yeah. Well, like I said, exactly. Yeah. Yes, I think it is. It's like 
Like people collect cars or action figures, and he's yeah. got his. He's got these kind of. He's got these kind of gruesome memories of multiple murders. And you know when you, we said before, where he's you know thanking them, saying oh, I've never been called anything like worth you know worthwhile, blah 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 blah. Yeah. He's probably thought after a while, I'm actually pretty good at this. I'm getting away with it. So he's proud of it, like they all are. So that's probably why he's remembered them all because it's like like you said, a collection. He's proud of it because you know you, you'd remember like I don't know your record collection, <laughs> I mean, like mm. things like that because he thinks of them as object as well. So it's the same sort of thing, I think. So yeah, he's, he's now he's reeling off all all the ninety supposed ninety three murders, and they are like, yep, yeah, we believe you, mate, because they make sense. And um, towards the end, he well, he met up with Gillian Lauren. If you want to go on, you know, online and find that, that's really interesting. But she yeah, spent she's years with him. She was a big, big, big like. And didn't he leave her all of his possessions? Yes, he did. Death. I remember that now. So he put her as his next of kin because the family were like, nah, had absolutely nothing to do with him. What did he have? I th- probably just the odd bits and bobs from his prison cell books. And Lots whatever. of portraits of people that he'd murdered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, his art collection. He had drawn all these women from memory. Yeah, that's a good point. Sell it Mate, and give, them money, give the proceeds to the families. Yeah, Tom, Tom's brought three of them. <laughs> <laughs> Only one, mate. <laughs> yeah, look. So I'm showing Jake all the pictures. You can go online and find them. But yeah, all these pictures he drew. Oh, I can draw. Have so, you noticed they're all like kind of turning their neck a lot? Yeah, he likes necks in in his illustrations. He's yeah. there's kind of like a lot of focus on the neck. Nuts in it. Well, I've always wanted to be good at drawing. I might just like get banged up for a couple of years. <laughs> get, get concentrating. Like, what do you reckon? No, I think there's easier ways. <laughs> Rob. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, pen, pen and paper for Christmas. And just yeah. There we go. Yeah. So now he is. Yeah, he's banged up forever, and there's there's a list of his confirmed confirmed victims, uh, which are Anna Lee Stewart, Mary Jo Payton, Car- Carol Lee Linda Alford, Guadalupe Apodaca. Audrey Nelson Everett, Zena Marie Jones, Rose Evans, and Denise Christie Brothers. And then, anyone listening, go on Wikipedia, and under the suspected murder victims uh, part, you're scrolling for about fucking ten minutes. It's a terrible list, isn't it? It's awful. And most of them are un- unnamed black female, unnamed Hispanic female, unnamed, or just nicknames who they think that they are called. So it's got a couple of real names, but the most of them, you don't know who they are. And that's why Gillian Lauren was doing a research to mm, help mm. the families, you know. Um, but yeah, so he also, under here it says, there's about five or six unmatched confessions. So they're not entirely sure he did them, but they're more confessions. There's about five of those. Um, little had long-term girlfriend, Arella Jean Dorsey, since uh, since deceased, who supported them both right through the shoplifting years. That was an old lady, That's wasn't it? That's it, yeah. Um, and he, I think he was, I don't know when they broke. I think she died before he got caught because she was, <laughs> she was about 93 when they fucking met. Yeah, she was so much older really than him. Really weird. Yeah, 27 years older, says here. But anyway, he died in 2020 of uh, like diabetes complications, something like that. Yeah, Goodness so me. Yeah, and he was uh, 80, 80 years old. America's most prolific serial killer. And I... It says, yeah, known for being the most prolific serial killer in the US in United States history by number of confirmed victims. But yeah, like like I was saying before, it's a shame that we couldn't find anything about childhood because like Eileen Warnos, you know, it gives you an insight into like why he felt like that. But you can kind of imagine what it had been like, you know. And he didn't even mention it in the interviews. He didn't say like, I got abused or or this, that, the other. 
He just got abandoned when he was a kid, and then he became homeless because his grandparents apparently misplaced him. Yeah, which is, which, I don't know what he means by that. Not a clue. Like, you lose your glasses, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, If where did they lose him? Surely he's fucking walked back home, like, I don't know. So it's really weird. But anyway, that's all we could find of his childhood. So, and then he went on to kill the most confirmed victims in American history. It's like, oh, that's awful. Incredible, isn't it? So yeah, anyway, I think I think we're done, aren't we? Are we done, Kev? I think we're done. Are we done, mate? Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> it's just heavy you know what? I, yeah. It's just like, you know, it's, it's a hard topic because there's not much to it. He's, you know, he was a guy and he just spent all of his time killing loads of women. Yeah. And well, it's name just... me an easy serial killer topic. Jeffrey Dahmer's a, a breeze, mate. <laughs> yeah, but like so many, and I hadn't heard of the guy until a few weeks ago. You know? Yeah, it's no the fact idea. that you don't really know who he yeah. is. Really, you hear all the other people. Yeah, well, that's why famous serial killers. So and... it was just before COVID. I went to that talk, and she mentioned him, and I was like, I think most of the room went, "What? What? Everyone's looking at each other, going, oh, I've never heard of him." Right, so that was Stuart. I mean Samuel Little. Not Stuart Little. Yeah. That's all we've got to say, really. It's just the, the yeah. timeline. It's just, yeah, he just moved, killed, moved, killed. Moved, killed. Went into retirement and then got caught. Did drugs. Did drugs, yeah, shot. Nearly got caught. Well, not nearly, he got cut like dozens so of times. times. Yeah, yeah got, the mug shots. Yeah, he got nicked fucking millions of times for armed robbery for a start. For a young black guy in like the 70s, you can get fucking 20 years for armed robbery. You know what I mean? And he got away with it. Yeah, so there we go. So, watch yeah. watch um, some of the confessions on YouTube. Yeah, just put in Samuel Little interview and, and documentaries or whatever, and it's very interesting. But yeah, peace out, everyone. I think we, I think that's it, isn't it? Yeah, I think yeah. maybe we should go and have a beer. I think that's why Kev's been so quiet. He's gasping for a pint. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we're going to leave you to it and go to the Pint pub. of ale. Pint of ale. Nice big, smooth pint of Not ale. Not iced tea. Not cold tea. Cold tea! <laughs> I'm going to have a fucking iced tea just to... <laughs> have one in the pub, like, yeah. 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 <laughs> right, we're signing off now. We're going, for, we're going for a pint, mate. Plugs, plugs. Yeah, come on. Oh, no. no, actually, yeah. Well, okay. I'm talking about your emails. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, TikToks. yeah. We keep, yeah. So, deadstuffpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. So, send us whatever. Like, send us some abuse, because that'd be quite funny. Yeah, views, yeah, that's good. But send us anything, you know, even suggestions, what to talk about, whatever. And we're always open to talking to other people. You know, Who are we? Who? Yeah. <laughs> what? So, yeah. Uh, and TikTok as I'm well. I'm no grass. What are you <laughs> going on about? <laughs> Shut up, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I do TikTok videos as well. Loads of, like, uh, short clips on, like, you know, killer's last words, uh, killer's last meals, f- interesting facts. So it's actually doing all right. Got quite a few more followers in the last couple of weeks. Getting it's going there, Whee. but we want to go live eventually. So you know, watch this space, and we will try and go live on TikTok where you can actually watch us talk absolute shit for an hour. Mm. But yeah, you might enjoy it. Who knows? Some, some questions as well. Just that's it. Yeah, yeah. Ask about us. Ask yeah. about people. Ask about the podcast. Yeah, because you can whack comments on as you're watching it, can't yeah. you? So yeah, you've just... had a few questions, haven't you? Come yeah, on. quite a few. And, um, uh, it's thinking of doing a live waxing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mate, we can't even wax you because you've got no fucking body hair. You're like a I've baby. Got, yeah, it's all falling off. <laughs> <laughs> live waxing. Yeah. I'll tell you what, yeah, give it a whirl. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, we're done. Thanks for listening. Say, bye, say bye, Kev. Bye, Kev. Say bye, Jake. Bye-bye.